and welcome to Band Weekly, the show where we chat about sports, the show where we chat about some entertainment, and then at the end of the show, we put it all together to chat some sports entertainment, otherwise known as wrestling. I'm Boris, and as always, I am joined by my buddy, Matt. Bonjour. How's everybody doing out there? Boris, I'm coming to you live from a remote location, undisclosed in Northern Ontario. I have a dirty bandana burn, like half my face is sunburned and half my face is like white as a ghost. And uh, life is good, man. You know, I got a beer going here at 11 in the morning, just enjoying uh, the last couple of days of vacay. How oh, are you doing, big homie? Been a while. Je- yeah, it has been a while. I'm jealous of the beer. Let me tell you that. I can totally <laughs> use one right now. Just totally use one. It's been one of those mornings. Uh, but yeah, no, everything is going really well. Everything is going fine. Um, busy, but good weekend, I think. I think. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to determine whether it was good. Uh, but it was busy. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Well, better busy than not busy, I suppose. Although I haven't been very busy in the last couple of weeks, and it's been glorious. So maybe not all the time. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's been a great weekend. If you don't immediately know, <laughs> it's 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 up in the air. It's up in the air. We're not sure yet. Uh, but yeah, this week and this week is going to be um, this week is going to be uh, uh, like see, speaking of busy weeks, this is going to be a really busy week uh, at Bam and Sunday nights main event we'll talk about why on the wrestling portion of stuff but there is tons going on some changes uh to to to, to what we had scheduled uh, but we'll chat all about that on the wrestling portion man there's just so much going on uh you know with g1 with 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 all the special shows all the pay-per-views all the premium live events it's just a crazy time in the wrestling world and then in the sports world, you know, summer is typically a quieter time for the most part. But I feel like this summer uh, has been pretty busy. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's a lot of movement in uh, in both the NHL and the NBA. And also, like, the uh, the schedules got pushed back a little bit, right, due yeah. to COVID. So everything has been kind of jammed in. Usually NHL free agency happens July 1st, and it happened July 13th this year. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a little, it's a little more crammed, and it is feeling more chaotic. But it's been fun. Lots to keep up with, though, for sure. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and then, you know, baseball, the, the, the All-Star game is this week. It's typically about yes. a week later because of the lockout and all that stuff. Uh, so... You know, the next few weeks in sports, generally speaking, are going to be in are going to be busy this year, which is like I said, it's just a change of pace. You know, the NBA has been going crazy. The Kevin Durant saga seems to be intensifying, but fizzling all at the same time. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kevin Durant might have different homes, although the more the closer we get to the NBA season, the more it's looking like Brooklyn's just going to remain untouched and we're going to actually see Kyrie and Durant and perhaps Ben Simmons, the ghost of Ben Simmons playing basketball. Could you imagine? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see when he actually shows up. I know he's injured, and uh, we'll, we'll see when he actually decides to play, man. But yeah, let's get into it. We, we do have... It's, we have a lot to talk about, but not a lot to talk about, right? It's, it's, it's like I say, the next few weeks here on BAM are going to be funny because they're going to be jam-packed, but at the same time, you know, taking it a little tranquilo. 
Yeah, it's going to be jam-packed with like roster news, jam-packed with like transactions, not a ton of gameplay, but we do have a lot of intrigue. Let's start with baseball, actually, because there's only one big factor, I think, right now heading into the All-Star break. The Washington Nationals have announced that they're fielding offers on Juan Soto. Well, they haven't really announced it, but it's come out that Juan Soto is not signing an extension in Washington, and Washington might trade him. So I have two questions for you, Boris. For one, would you like to see Toronto give up the farm, give up a ton of uh, prospects and sign this guy to $50 million a year or whatever it's going to be? And if not Toronto, where do you think Juan Soto is going? All right, so taking a look at the contracts, two contracts that have been reported that he denied, right? What were they? A five-year, $300 million and a five, sorry, three-year, $300 million and then a five-year, like, $450 million contract. The numbers might not be accurate. I don't have it in front of me. I'm just talking off the top of my head right now, but that's just absolutely insane. So the fact yes, that... the point is maybe- sacks of money he turned down. <laughs> sacks upon trucks upon banks worth of money, yes. Yeah, so I think... How old is he? Do you know how old he is? I believe he's one of the youngest players in in uh, the National League in baseball to this like at this moment. I think he's twenty three or twenty four max. I'll Google that. I'll Google that real quick. While I you just talk. checked, I just checked. He is twenty three. He's turning twenty four later this year. So, yeah. So I think he's looking for terms. I think he's looking for a long contract, like a ten year contract. I can see the terms being crazy, but in terms of money, but I think he's looking for a contract because, look, baseball changes, right? Like, in terms of who gets the sacks and the sacks of money, the Danhausen levels of money. Um, You know, he's 23. If he's looking for a five-year contract, you know, then he'll start renegotiating at 27, 28. At that age, you know, what type of contract are you going to get, right? So if he's now 23, looking for a 10-year contract, you know, then maybe this is the the contract that gives him bank and then the next contract i'm not gonna say he's he's gonna like you know not make bank but it'll be more of a okay i'm gonna finish up my career type of contract so i think that the numbers just need to match in regards to length and amount so here's the thing the blue jays we're going to bring up the blue jays because we're from toronto we love talking about toronto uh so if you're new to listening to bam oftentimes you listen to Toronto-centric discussion. Now, in terms of where the Jays' needs are, I don't want them. I don't. I don't we're not. Why? Why give? Why give up the farm for Juan Soto at this point? I think we're good. Um, you know, in terms of 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 field players, what we need is pitching, right? Like that. That's what we desperately need. So, you know, we're gonna get Juan Soto and give up any pitching prospect that's humanly there i think it would be the worst case thing there the reality is a team that's going to get him is going to be a team like the dodgers like the yankees like the mets and i know that the mets and the yankees are actively looking to get him in yeah absolutely i would not be shocked if he went to new york it's always like you said a safe bet new york los angeles if they're close to competitive at all and yankees match dodgers are three of the best teams in baseball right now. So obviously, obviously they're going to be close. I agree 100% with your assessment about our pitching. We don't need a Juan Soto, although man, that, that extra bat in the outfield, it wouldn't look bad, but we'd have to probably trade at least 
correct me if I'm wrong here, but at least uh, the sick catching prospect Gabriel Moreno or Kirk or both, but probably just Moreno. And I would say Bo Bichette or one of the stars, maybe Bo Bichette and Lourdes before we even get into prospects, right? Exactly. So, other than Moreno, who's already played time though. So I, I he's kind of not really a prospect in the truest sense anymore. Anyway, yeah, yeah I think the price would be... From a MLB definition point of view, he is uh, because right. you're still a prospect, you know, I think one year after... You debut, right? So okay. anyways, again, MLB yeah. rules. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I think the price would just be too astronomically high, both both like for trading for him and then eventually signing him to whatever like whatever number he's going to want, which is probably north of $40 million a year. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't think Toronto is they, – they don't need to do it. They have a good young core. It would be very, very exciting. I think the dark horse in this – it might not even be a dark horse. It might be an obvious choice in some ways. But St. Louis, the St. Louis Cardinals, they might end up with Juan Soto. They have a good farm. They're trying to win now. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, who makes a lot of money, is coming off the books around 2023, 2024, I believe, which would be when the extension kicks in for Soto. So, yeah, I would watch out for the Cardinals. And like you said, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, of course. Red Sox, of course. Yeah, exactly. You know, the other team that like one of those 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 obvious teams for me, like you said, the Cardinals, uh, you know, the Giants are always looking for people. And then there's the Mariners. Remember, the Mariners are a team that have the money. They have the backing, you know, and, and, and it, they, we, they just haven't spent money in a few years. But that's a team that, in my opinion, has a great farm system. I think they're highly ranked, if not top ranked. Um, you know, they have don't have a lot of big ass contracts right now with with ter in terms of length. Um, so, you know, and they have a GM who's just trying to do everything in his power to win right now, like signing the AL um, Cy Young, you know, winner and, and stuff like that. So we'll see. We'll see exactly what's going on that's, with the with the Mariners. But great. Call. But yeah. I love where your head's at on the Mariners. Yeah, not since the days. I guess they signed Robinson Cano uh, to a fat contract in there, but not since the days of like Griffey and then Ichiro have I really felt like, and they they briefly intersected too, Griffey and Ichiro, but not not since then have we felt like Seattle's been a threat, and I think they're ready to make a big splash. Like you said, they signed Robbie Ray. They have Julio Rodriguez, man. Julio and Juan Soto back-to-back -back in the outfield in the lineup for the next 10 years. Whew. Seattle, I think that's a great call, man. They could be the dark horse in this process for sure. Yep, exactly. That, that's just, you know, it's just a team that I know has the backing and they will spend when they have to and want to. Um, it's just a matter of when, right? It's just a matter of, 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 of pulling the trigger. And I think that this year, next year, they're ready to pull the trigger because I think they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, building up the team kind of like the Jays did into the past few years. Absolutely. And Washington's going to wait until they get a proper haul. And they should, because this is, like you said, a 23, 24-year-old who's already shown like super-duper star potential, already wears a World Series ring. Like, this guy's on a Hall of Fame path. And you're yeah. getting him at 23? Theoretically, that's 10 more years at least of quality, quality production. Um, so yeah, this is, this is going to be something that can completely rebuild Washington's franchise. And I think they, they're going to wait as long as they can to get a proper package. Well, one thing that we didn't kind of clarify at the top of this was the fact that 
they don't have to trade him right now. They want to trade him right now because his contract is up at the end of next season, which means that they still control him for next season, which means that this year would be the ideal year to trade him since they can get a sweet-ass package. Absolutely, yeah. If you're the team who's receiving Juan Soto, you'd much prefer to get him this year, so you'd have to pay a premium to do so. So while they don't have to trade him, it would make more sense to trade him this year just in term in terms of what you're getting back. So, yeah, man, it's good. It's very interesting. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but it wouldn't shock me if, if this season Juan Soto wears a different uniform. Yeah, exactly. We have a couple more weeks before the trade deadline. And, you know, I think that just the market is going to be insane because of the wild card and so many teams in the running for a wild card spot, both in the American League and the National League. I can see a lot of teams being buyers this year. So I can see a lot of movement happening at the trade deadline or because there's a lot of teams at contention. No team wants to help out another team, so there's going to be minimal movement. I don't know which way it's going to go, but it's going to be one or the other. That's interesting. Well, luckily, we have a team like Washington who is not doing well firmly in a seller's position, right? Like, they're not, there's no confusion. And there's a couple teams in baseball who are really bad. But the the team with the biggest poker chip is clearly a seller. So that alone, hopefully, kind of makes something happen, you know? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, Athletics, Marlins, Rays, Pirates, Guardians, Brewers, those teams, you know, I can see them being sellers, uh, especially the Brewers. The Brewers are a weird team because they're not good, but they're not bad, but they have so much to offer. So it depends what their outlook is over the next few years. Uh, then that'll determine what, what they what they do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there's. It's it's going to be so fascinating, man. I can't wait to see. I hadn't even considered Seattle until you brought it up, and now I'm just picturing him in that in that uniform, trying to trying to be the new Ken Griffey Jr. Juan mm-hmm. Soto. It's almost perfect. He's been he's been compared to Griffey so many times. It's almost perfect he'd end up in that uniform. Exactly. And remember, baseball is still big on teams not wanting to strategically uh, trade within your league. So what I mean by that is that. You know, with Washington being in the National League East, he will most likely end up in the AL somewhere because the Nationals don't want to give a huge piece, a huge advantage to any team that they could potentially face in the National League. Even though next year, yeah, even though next year, you know, we're going to have a little different schedules where every team is going to face every team at least once. You know, I still see that holding true in regards to players you know, and, and when they get traded, chances are they'll get traded to the other league. Yeah, I always felt that was a little overrated, but it happens in sports. Like, I think you should always trade to the team who offers you the best return, no matter what. But I understand the logic in not wanting to trade Juan Soto to your neighbor and then they come to town 14 times a year and Juan Soto absolutely obliterates you while your fans boo. Like, I get it. It makes sense. But at at the end of the day, you just got to do what's best for your team, though. Yeah, and sometimes what's best for your team is not trading them to the Mets, right? Like in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right, though, homie. Exactly right. So, hey, speaking of blockbuster huge trades, and we've already touched on the Minnesota-Utah trade in the NBA, but I think we should talk about uh, 
some NBA, some NHL. I have a little gimmick here, uh, buddy, because we always talk about winners and losers of the offseason. I just wanted to put a little twist on that. I'm going short-term memory and long-term memory. So three teams from each sport that in this offseason kind of won. Three teams you need to com- commit to your short-term memory and then three that you need to commit to your long-term memory who got better in three or five years. Okay. All right. I like this. I'm liking this. All right, buddy. All right. So let's start in the NBA. We're going to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves. They inarguably got better next year. They added Rudy Gobert. They're trying to do the uh, the Memphis thing, the Cleveland thing, the Twin Towers thing. Minnesota should be firmly in the playoffs, like top four in the West. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a very fair assessment. I would be shocked if they weren't top four in the Western Conference. So uh, another team that got better, man. The Atlanta Hawks, I think the loss of Kevin Herter is going to hurt. Uh, It is a herder for sure. He can shoot. He's a good player. But at the end of the day, Kevin Herter is like seventh, eighth, man. They got Deontay Murray from the Spurs, who is really, really good. And he will complement Trey Young extremely well. A little bit of a thunder and lightning situation. He's way more of a pass first guard. Uh, I feel like Deontay is. He's way more defensive, and I think he's going to really compliment Trey Young. So the Atlanta Hawks got better. I think they're a top six team in the East. I think they will probably uh, not even have to contend with the play-in. I think they're safely in the playoffs. Yeah, Atlanta's a weird team because I feel like we've been talking about them, and people who know a lot better than us have been uh, talking about them for a few years. So... Are they getting better or will they be playing to kind of what people have expected from them? It's a fair question, but I do think Deontay Murray is like the perfect, the perfect player for that team. Arguably speaking, they've gotten better. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I would put them at like sixth in the East right now. Another team that missed the playoffs, missed the play in, but I think is clearly better. They overpaid like you got to do in the NBA, but the New York Knicks, Jalen Brunson will help that team. He is very good at basketball. The Knicks should at least be in the play-in next year. RJ Barrett takes a step. You know, I think they're I think they're in good shape. Yep, agreed. I think that the Knicks need to step up. Like, how many times over the past what decade have the Knicks been so close to being good, but then something happens? Yeah, man, exactly right. And the, the, the something that happened might also be the thing that makes them good, which yes. is they signed Jalen Brunson to way too much money, way too much money. But next year, short term memory, they will be better. So yep. three teams that got better for one year, at least that will not win a title, but will be higher in the playoff seedings, New York, Atlanta and Minnesota. Yep. Exactly. So your so your NBA long term memory team, you got to start with Utah. You got to start with Utah. Oh, you have to. I think that's like by far positionally speaking, uh, you know, long term year over year, they've you know they have a team that they can rely on for the next five years. Absolutely, yeah. So they uh, we don't even know if and where Donovan Mitchell is going to be traded, although we're pretty sure. That at some point Utah will move him and get another package of draft picks and assets back. So yeah, Utah's looking like they're playing for 2025, 2026 and beyond. The rebuild is in. But long term, I don't think this core, Utah was never going to win a title with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They went as far as they can go and it was it was the right time to blow it up and they did. So hats off to you, Utah. They got better in five years. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, that's an interesting use, um, like, uh, uh, use case there. You know, knowing that your team is not good enough and moving big parts of that team. You know, that's a ballsy move. And one team that I wish did that a little more, and when we did do it, it paid off huge. That's the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, man, absolutely. And you know what? I have the Raptors penciled in here on my list, so we're going to include them. It's a homer pick, but since you just brought them up, the Raptors got better, man. Don't get it twisted. And the fact that they didn't trade their farm for Kevin Durant and the fact that they won't is even better. Like, the Ra the Raptors did not mortgage their future. And unlike Minnesota, you know what I mean? Like, I think they're smart enough to know that they could maybe win a title if this core continues to grow. Like, I think Scotty Barnes has unlimited potential. And a big part of why I'm putting the Raptors here is because they drafted the perfect player. They needed a defensive lengthy center who doesn't need to shoot but can doesn't need to be the primary ball handler they needed what we wanted Chris Stapps Porzingis to be they needed that like uh, a stretch five to end all stretch fives and they drafted Christian Coloco and he's already in summer league looking nice nice this kid is humongous he is lanky he can shoot a little bit but again he's not Steph Curry he's not going to be your primary ball handler he's going to be the guy that if he gets open on the three-point line might be able to swish one or two kind of like the evolutionary Keon Clark if you remember Keon Clark from the Raptors back in the day I yeah. love this draft pick I love that the Raptors didn't sell their farm Raptors will be good in five years yep I agree with you wholeheartedly all right who else do you have on your list Total homer pick there. And then I think you got to shout out the Orlando Magic, man. They're kind of staying the course. They actually won the lottery. They got the guy they wanted. And Paolo Bancaro has been looking awesome. He looks like he, they they actually, they put him, uh, he only played like two or three games and then they put him out for the, for the entire summer league because they were like, hey, we've seen enough. Like, we don't need to risk this guy's health. He is good. So I think Orlando, you can finally finally after all these years say orlando's on the right path and they should in three to five years be much better yeah and they've been on this path for the past what three years or so uh it's hard I, it's always hard because like when when i started thinking of like the pandemic era of, of the nba like those years kind of just stretch and and anyways it's hard to tell time sometimes but i think orlando mm -hmm. magic have been on this course since 2019 2018 and you know i think it will pay off and like you said, five years, three to five years down the line, they will make, you know, an impact. Yeah, I, I think like we were we're still up in the air with Chet Holmgren on the Thunder. And I think the Thunder, obviously, I have so many draft picks and they're going to be good in, in a bunch of time, too. But it's almost a lazy pick. Like, let's not let's not lose sight that Orlando possibly did get the best player in this draft. Paolo Bancaro at this moment looks like an A a-level prospect and they they have done the right thing for once and like you said they've been kind of lost for a little bit kind of trying to swing at least for the last three years honestly it feels like they've been like this since Dwight Howard like in 2009 since they made the finals that one year it kind of feels like they've been lost since then yep exactly exactly all right so yeah that's the NBA keep your eye on those teams let's just go right to hockey we're going to do the same exact gimmick in the NHL so one team Boris, that got better in the short term, for sure. The Columbus Blue Jackets with a huge splash signing Johnny Hockey, Johnny Godreau. Shout out David Brightly. Shout out to all our Flames listeners, Flames fans out there. I know we have a lot of fans in Calgary. My heart goes out to you. 
because that's a tough beat. That is a tough beat for Calgary. But Calgary's loss is Columbus's gain. Which is weird because I just don't see Columbus having the right pieces around him to be a major contender. Major contender, maybe not, but they're going to be much better next year, man. You do, don't don't get it twisted. They do have Patrick Laine and Gojo on the first line. Like, that's nasty. They don't have Tortorella there feuding with their own players anymore. I think they got a good coach, a good GM, and that team is hungry. I, I, I like Columbus next year. Maybe not to make the playoffs, but certainly to knock on the door. Yep. All right. Cool. Same exact thing. Maybe not yet making the playoffs, but they're right there knocking on the door. The Ottawa Senators, what a huge offseason they had. Adding Claude Giroux, adding Cam Talbot, classic French goalie for the Senators. Hope he's a little better than Patrick Lalim. And of course, adding Alex Debrinket, 40 goal scorer who's like 25 years old from Chicago. Uh, if we were doing worst offseason, Chicago number one with a bullet. But since we're doing best, Ottawa. Yo, yeah, I would rank them number one by far. Like, just stay up and up, just improve tenfold within 48 hours. Just humongous offseason by Ottawa, and they have announced, like, the rebuild is over. We are trying to win now. They're in a tough division, though, because they have Toronto, they have uh, Florida teams, Tampa Bay, and the Florida Panthers, not to mention Detroit got better. They still have Buffalo and Montreal in that division lurking. So it's a tough road to hoe. Boston is always Boston. But I think Ottawa is just like Columbus, knocking on the playoff door. Humongous offseason. Great job by Ottawa. Yep. All righty. Who else do you have on your list? The team that got, like, the best, in my opinion, for next year. The team that is like, oh, this, this, these guys are going to probably win the Stanley Cup. Carolina Hurricanes. I know Brent Burns is... You know, this isn't NHL 13 anymore. He's not like 90 overhaul. Same with Max Pacci already. But they got those guys on their roster for basically nothing. They didn't lose too, too much. They filled the holes that they lost, like Vincent Trocek left, but they replaced him. Whew, these Carolina Hurricanes. Freddie Anderson played at a Vesna Trophy level last year. If he can stay healthy, Carolina is my current pick to win the Stanley Cup next year, I'm telling you. Yep, agreed, agreed. I think, yeah, here's the thing, though. They have a window, in my opinion, right now. Oh, yes, yes. And it's like a two-year window, and then it's shut. But yeah. we are in the Hurricanes' two-year window, officially. Yep. Some would say we are in the eye of the storm. <laughs> Boris, that's why we love you, brother. Um, all right, so yeah, those are your three teams, your short-term memory teams, long-term memory teams, Boris. Here's a fun one, because I think Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild, might take an aggressive shit for one season next year. There's a lot of worry that Kirill Kaprizov might not be able to even come back from Russia. That's a that's a scary situation. Um, so we don't know what Minnesota's going to be doing, but they had an awesome NHL draft. Drafted two great players. Uh, Liam Ogren, they drafted at 19, who fell a little bit. He's a He's uh, similar to a Patrick Line type Pokemon, just a dangerous shooter. Uh, he's Swedish, not Finnish. But they also took, uh, what's his name, Danila Yurov, who is a Russian, just like Kirill Kaprasov, top 10 talent who fell down to number 24 because of the Russia factor, because they don't really know when he's going to come over. So eventually, they're going to get Danilo, uh, Danila Yurov over. They took another good kid at uh, 19 before him, Liam Ogren. I really like Minnesota's draft a lot. Minnesota could also be 
sneaky bad next year and win the lottery for Connor Bedard. And that could be a franchise player. You know what I mean? There a lot of chips need to fall there. But Minnesota had a really, really good draft. I think it's worth noting. And they might have a bad season next year. Exactly. But that's, I feel like, so one of my really good friends and colleagues uh, from work, he lives in Minnesota. He lives in St. Paul. And, he, like, huge hockey fan. Like, this guy's so embedded in, like, the hockey life out there. Um, and And we say the exact, or he tells me the same thing year after year where Minnesota he doesn't know whether they're going to be good or they're going to be bad just because they make these weird moves that could potentially go either way right and if you take a look at their playoff uh kind of appearances over the past few years you can totally see like you know one year they don't come near to qualifying the next year they qualify but they face like the hardest teams humanly possible uh so that's kind of like the Minnesota way right now yeah, it's very, very strange. But I do think, like, next year their goaltending situation is not exactly as uh, comfortable as, as it's been in the past. They have Flurry again. They might end up trading him. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I, I'm worried about them next year. Long term, though, Minnesota is still in absolutely great shape. You don't yep. have to worry if you're a Minnesota Wild fan. Maybe don't watch hockey next year. <laughs> exactly. Or watch it. Well, can you imagine, like, the, the it must just hurt them seeing the Avalanche do so well. Because I know that a lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of Minnesota Wild fans do not like Colorado. Okay, yeah, definitely some bad blood there. And, and yeah, it just kind of sucks. Minnesota is probably, inarguably, actually, I didn't even say probably, a better hockey state than Colorado. Minneapolis or St. Paul are better hockey cities than Denver. And yet the Avalanche have had way more success than any the uh, the, the Wilder, the North Stars really ever have. So. Yep, exactly, Tuffy. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to go with the Seattle Kraken here for the simple fact, Boris, that they, the presumptive number one overall pick, Shane Wright, fell to them at number four. And now they have a top two center situation for the next dozen years in Maddie Beneers, who they got last year, and Shane Wright, who they got this year. So Seattle, they have built their team in the complete opposite way of the Vegas Golden Knights. And at this moment, I think I'd rather be a Seattle fan than a Golden Knights fan. Well, what? Okay, so I'm going to bury Horowitz us here because we said <laughs> this. We called this we both said last year in our nhl preview that seattle isn't going to be vegas because they didn't go out their guns ablaze and they didn't drop bag to begin their expansion but they are a team built for the offseason and that's exactly what they've done i think they've made huge moves in the offseason and I think they will be Vegas quality moving forward because, holy crap, they have some great, great, great prospects in their system right now. Absolutely. Starting up the middle with Matty Veneers, first line center, Shane Wright, second line center. That is tasty. That looks really, really good. And those jerseys are going to be nice in the playoffs in 2026. Commit the Seattle Kraken to your long-term memory. And Boris, I wouldn't be Matthew if I didn't say the Montreal Canadiens. They drafted the Slovakian Batman and Robin in Slikovsky and Philip uh, Mesar. I really love what Montreal has done. They lost Alexander Romanov, who was a promising young defenseman, but they added so many other promising young players, got out of some cap uh, situations. And I think Montreal is, while they won't make the playoffs next year, they are very set up. If you look at their roster, look at the young talent there. We forget about Cole Caulfield. Now they've got this big-ass Slikovsky. Man, 
Habs are going to be very good in a minute, in a minute. They're kind of caught in between with Carey Price. Uh, we'll see what happens with Price. It would break my heart to see him traded, but at the same time, I want to see him win a Stanley Cup, so I kind of hope he does get traded now. I can see right now the Carey Price situation and him having these conversations uh, with management because I really do feel like it's going to be a Roy Halladay type of situation. You know, For those yeah. of you who don't know, Roy Halladay, like legendary pitcher here in Toronto, RIP. Um, and when it came time to it, you know, it the team for the for for lack of a better word respected his future and you know what he wanted at that time and traded him to a contender. And the most amazing thing that happened in that deal is he was so good for Philly right away. Immediately throws a perfect game in the playoffs or a no hit. I think it was a perfect game, right? And no, I think it was a no man. hit in the playoffs and a perfect game okay. in the in the season. Yes, yes. I, yeah, you're correct, I believe, about that. But, man, it was just so awesome to see him. He won his championship. Like, to see him actually get the respect that he deserved was so great. And, and I hope he kind if, of if it, respected yeah. Toronto because of that. Like, you know, and I think, oh, like, yeah. the it, it was such a wonderful, rare situation to see what happened between Toronto, Philadelphia, and Roy Halladay. Like, it's you don't see that in sports. But I think you will with Carey Price. I think Carey Price will be moved this offseason to a team like a like a super contender. Yeah, hurts to say, hurts to hear, but you might be right. Unless Montreal can pull off that miracle run. But yeah, probably probably not happening. And not Toronto. <laughs> oh God. I would actually like I I don't hate the Maple Leafs that much, but to see Carey Price hoist the Stanley Cup in that jersey, that'd be that, tough. Would, that would be a tough yeah. one to swallow. Exactly, and I think that, you know, I know we, we were just saying, like, you know, always move these players to the best spot, but there's always a little something that you have to think about in terms of business, and that would not be good business for Montreal. It might not be, although it would be funny, man. It would kind of be hilarious and perfect in its own way if, for the rest of time, Toronto's big Stanley Cup that they broke their drought with was kind of tied to Montreal. You know it what I mean? Be, it was kind of because Montreal it would be so hilarious. It would I be the most It would be the most fitting thing to happen because that's <laughs> this is what I love about sports when you think about those those funny ha-has. Nah, man, that, that would actually be almost perfect. But I, you know what? I, I, I've talked myself into and back out of it. I don't want to see it. Don't exactly. do it. Please don't trade him to Toronto. For yep. the love of God. Exactly. Pretty much. All right. Well, that's the short term, long term memory gimmick. I liked it. Maybe we could bring it back next summer. Um, I like yeah, it. I, I, that, thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that's something that we can do kind of in the middle of 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 the uh, free agent season and signing season. I think we should also do the same for the NFL as kind of the as camps begin to open. I think that would be a really cool gimmick to kind of see, you know, short term, long term who we think is going to be good and i like how we kept this positive didn't go into teams who are worse off now before we move on to wrestling i want to go back to baseball for a second uh because you know again toronto centric we're going to be talking some toronto that is the manager change here in toronto charlie montoyo being released being let go being future endeavored you know, with a winning record, holding the third and final uh, wildcard spot, just up by a couple games. But at the end of the day, they the Jays are underperforming to where not only the fans thought, not only MLB analysts thought, but to where the powers that be at Rogers uh, kind of wanted the Jays to be. Matt, 
What what were your what were your initial thoughts? Uh well, did you watch the game before he got fired? Yes. So there was this there was this challenge fiasco right at the start of the game. I believe like in the first inning, the end of the first inning where so if you, if the catcher misses the third strike, uh, the first baseman has the right to run to first and then the catcher has to throw him out. Right. So anyway, that situation happened, dropped third strike. Buddy throws it to Vlad. Vlad actually does not touch the base. So Buddy is safe. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is basically screaming into the dugout like my bad. I screwed up. Do not challenge this play. He is saying he's guilty in front of the cops, a.k.a. the umpires. He's basically, he's like openly saying, don't challenge it. Montoyo challenges it anyway. Obviously, it fails. So they lose their challenge for the entire game in the first inning. And like two or three times after that, there were challengeable plays. And I saw that and I swear to God, Boris, I said, oh, he's not long for this world. They're going to fire Montoyo soon. And they fired him the next day. How long have I been saying that for? Like, he's he's not long for this world at all. And I I saw it, and especially after the what happened that, like, that game with Vladimir Guerrero, after seeing what happened on the road trip, and the biggest kick to the balls was getting swept in Seattle, right? Like, yeah. between the five-game homestand, you know, the four, five games in four days against the Rays over Canada Day, and then what happened in Seattle, you knew that he just wasn't going to last much longer. And, you know, it's to me, it's telling the fact that he gets fired, and then, you know, some of the players, like Bo Bichette, are literally saying, yeah, change is good. It just goes to show you that, like, what was actually happening uh, behind the scenes, and, you know, it's it, it sucks because you have to see it from the, you know, take a step back. I know Charlie was beloved. I know the Jays are doing good enough, but good enough right now is not good, especially on a season where there's just so many teams in contention for that third or for all the wild card spots. You know, you, you just, you can't, you, you, you can't leave things up to other teams. And I think that's the major lesson the Jays learned last year is you can't leave your destiny up to other people. You got to control your own destiny. That's what happened to the Jays last year. That's why we lost out of a playoff spot last year by one game. And I don't, and I know they don't want that to repeat. So making the change now, moving up, Someone who these people, like our superstars, played for, played with, won championships, I think is the greatest optics uh, move that you can possibly do. Yeah, that's an excellent call. Excellent call all around. Agreed. 100 zillion trillion, fulfillion percent with you, big homie. Um, So, yeah, I, I am... I'm intrigued to see John Schneider as the current interim manager. I'm intrigued to see if we sign like a big name free agent. I also think I've heard some crazy conspiracy theories that Joey Votto might be a sneaky choice. He might retire and want to maybe not be the manager right away, but maybe try to get into the Toronto Blue Jays coaching staff. Very personable guy. Would love to see him if he's not in the booth, work with the Toronto Blue Jays. So that might be a long-term name to just keep a little eye on Joey Votto. That'd be interesting if he had someday anyway, if not next year, ended up as the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. But it'd be cool to see like a Bruce Bochy, like uh I don't know. No, we, we don't have uh, Bobby Cox specifically anymore, but to get our Bobby Cox in, you know what I mean? To get our new Cito Gaston in, that's what we need. 
Yeah, exactly. And look, I've been saying it for all. This is likely Votto's last season. Next season, 100%, in my opinion, he's going to be a Rodgers employee in some shape, way, or form. Yeah, that's a really good point. Excellently put. If not on the Sportsnet panel in the Toronto Blue Jays dugout, but he's getting a paycheck from Rodgers next year. Either way, buddy, I love it. Yeah, exactly. In some shape, way, or form, he's going to be Rodgers' employee. So our phone bills are going to go up yet again. <laughs> oh man, maybe he'll be the first ever joint analyst manager and he'll just cover the game from the dugout. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. The, the yeah, the Otani of of analysts and managers. <laughs> exactly. He's a two-way manager, the first ever two-way manager. I love it. Yep. Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh man, good stuff. All right, well, good sports chat, homie. Always love doing the sports talk. Actually, before we move on to wrestling, I wanted to chat just a just a little bit of entertainment. If we have any stand-up comedy fans out there, Bill Burr's new special, Live at the Red Rocks, really, really good. Check it out. Classic Bill Burr. If you like his sense of humor, you will love this special. I was laughing. I was enjoying it. Made me watch other Bill Burr specials as soon as it was done. So hats off to Bill Burr yet again. He might have the championship belt right now. Now that Dave Chappelle is just strictly doing the same bit over and over and it's fuck trans people. <clears throat> and he's well, just done that for the last six specials. I think Bill Burr is the best stand up comedian alive. Yeah. You know, what's something that I'm noticing with with like uh, like these mainstream comedians. I know that like local uh, uh, the comedy scene is it's just weird. But mainstream comedians, each comedian has found their niche. And by niche, I mean political you know, right wing or left wing fan base, right? And they're really leaning towards them, right? Like that's something I'm noticing. Yeah. Like you know, Chappelle, uh, even Bill Burr, like everyone, I'm noticing really leaning in one way or the other, right? You know, Nicky Glazier leaning in one way or the other. Like it's interesting to see, like just how split everyone is on everything, right? I I agree with you. Although that is why I like. Bill Burr is because he does play both sides, but he does have his takes. He is pretty anti, <laughs> I, I don't want to say anti-feminist because that comes off wrong. He's not anti-woman, but I think he is anti-feminist. I think that's probably safe to say if you listen think, to his comedy. Yeah, I think he's anti, like, anti-feminist of like the ideology of feminism. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I would say the opposite. I don't think he's anti the ideology. I think he's anti a lot of the people who... Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying... I think yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Right, like the, right, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. In, Like the people Any, anyway. who are... Yes, anyways. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to turn this into Bill Burr's political beliefs of which I am not sure. But yeah, the special was, was fire. He's... I think he is the best stand-up comedian currently alive on Earth. Yep, exactly. I think he's, uh... He's something for sure. I, I I quite enjoy his work. And I also watched uh, the Pete Davidson movie that he's in, uh, King of Staten Island. Finally watched that. I did enjoy it, although classic Apatow went like 45 minutes too long. And I think it's fair to say Pete Davidson is the least interesting thing in his own movie. <laughs> I agreed when you when you put that in the chat. I'm like, yep, I agreed with you a hundred percent when I watched it. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's funny that you say that about Judd Apatow. Like, it's not. Yeah, I guess his movies go long because he has this weird thing where he tries to have two or three different storylines and yeah. each give them their own time, right? Like, in 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 all of his movies have this exact same thing, right? Like, um, where they have two or three different storylines, and then because of that, he 
doesn't finish a movie fast. Mm, yeah, the all-time worst to me is funny people. Funny people is somewhere in that like three hours, there's an A plus movie, but it's just there's too much movie in that movie. If they can mine that thing down to like an hour 45, they can make an A plus plus movie out of that. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, but uh at end of the day, go watch Bill Burr do things. He's funny. Awesome. Is it time to move over to the wrestling? I think, buddy, I think we got two G1 Climax 32 shows to talk about here, big homie. Some awesome wrestling already. Not a bad match yet, including Yano's. <laughs> including Yano's. Uh, fucking Yano. I love that. <laughs> All right. But, you know, before we get into the G1, we're going to be focusing on G1 over the next few weeks. We will be talking about Impact. We will be giving your star ratings for pay-per-views and premium live events. Uh, but this week, I really wanted to focus on the G1. As to me, G1 season is hype season. I love G1 season. I really do wish that they kept this to the fall. I'm personally a huge fan of having this in the fall. But here we are, you know, I'm, I'm fine with this and the, the back to the summer. Um, but before we get to the G1, just some, uh, some, some, some administration stuff, some housekeeping, so to speak. Yes. Uh, so Sunday night's main event, originally thinking that for ROH, uh, Death Before Dishonor, which is this Saturday, July the 23rd, the original plan was for us to do an aftercast, which is a podcast after the show. Um, but, you know, because the card is looking fire, as the kids say, because, well, patrons have, some patrons have messaged me and asked, and because of, well, host interest, um, I believe that we are now, can officially say we will be not having an aftercast, but we will be having a live after party right after Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor, this Saturday, July the 23rd, right after the show, a SNME after party. Patrons, you will have the links in your mailbox that morning, and then everyone else will be able to watch on YouTube. So that's SNME Presents, the ROH, Death Before Dishonor, after party. Woo! Yeah, I'm excited. I am 99% sure that I will be on that uh, if you'll have me, of course. But uh, yeah, I just got to make sure that I can legally uh, watch that show and uh, you're not going to have to watch some dirty stream and then have it be canceled halfway through or whatever. But yeah, 99% sure I'll be right there with you. And I believe, uh, is Mike on that thing too? No, no so Mike's it's gonna not be Dan DeMouth. Gonna be Dan DeMouth uh, and co-host with Brad the Dad as the producer. You know, we just need the backup. So Mark and Brad are kind of uh, doing their stuff in the behind the scenes. But yeah, we're gonna come That's at you cool. with an ROH after party. I likely won't Yay. be on. So yeah, I'm gonna make sure everyone's good. Cool. I'm gonna make sure everyone's set. I will probably find a way to make sure that the show is happening. So. <laughs> Always good. <laughs> we uh, appreciate yeah. that. All right, I can't. I can't fully commit just because I'm not quite sure how I'm going to watch the show yet. But 99% sure that I'll watch it live legally and will be on the show. Yep. All right, man. So yeah. So that's a uh, Ring of Honor. Going back to uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, 28 man round robin tournament, 20 shows, 33 days. Four blocks, seven wrestlers each block, six tournament matches each wrestler. That is what the G1 brings us this year. And 
one thing I wanted to talk about right off the top was I appreciate, I feel like New Japan has heard some feedback and I'm loving the length of these shows. Agree. Big time. Four G1 matches on a single night instead of eight or nine. So much easier to digest. 87 to 90 matches instead of 200 overall. So much easier to digest. I love this broken up four block system. I love it. I love it. I hope they never change it again. I'll be the one who is standing on the rooftops praising this new format. This is great. I am really enjoying it. Yep. And I'm loving the length of the actual shows themselves. It's about, you know, yes. just over two hours, if at all, you know, and that's with the intermission between, you know, your opening card and the G1 uh, card, like the actual uh, round robin matches. You know, if you look at the undercard, you know, the matches are four minutes, seven minutes, five minutes, six minutes, right? Like they are a very digestible length. And then you get into the actual tournament matches and, even those, like, similar to the best of the Super Juniors, they're keeping them short, sweet, to the point. And then you have your main event. And if the undercard is is lasting as long as it does, I am okay with your 20 to 30 minute main event. Same. Absolutely. Some matches call for, like, that the epic build and length, and some don't. And that has always been the problem with the G1. It's it's a problem in quotations. It's a great problem to have. But matches are too good. They're too long. Too much stuff happens. And by the end of a G1 show, your brain is just pudding. You're just numb. You just have no idea what to make of anything on Earth yep. anymore. Exactly. So here on, at BAM, we're only going to be talking about the actual G1 tournament matches. We're not going to really touch on the undercard unless there's something absolutely fuego in the undercard, but I really want to kind of focus on the G1 matches themselves. Matt, we're covering night one, night two, G1. Uh, I believe that, you know, just, just to split things up, I'll take night one, you take night two. Are you ready? Sure, yeah, we could do that. I do have ratings for every single match, big homie, so I'll chime in. But yeah, you can definitely drive the bus for night one, July 16th, 2022. Hit it. Yep, so the first G1 match of the 2022 season was Aaron Hanari versus Hiroshi Tanahashi in the opening G1 climax match. This match, you know, again, very digestible amount of time, just nine minutes. Uh, man, so at about what the halfway point, just over the halfway point, Hanari hits a blue thunder bomb. Uh, then he does a beautiful looking senton, and I honestly thought that was gonna be it um you know he gets the full nelson in but tenahashi kind of gets out of the way he we get a sling blade but hanari gets the knees up um you know and and i i really do think that uh you know that that turned things around for hanari hanari kind of comfortably beat tenahashi uh in this match and i i I kind of like it because it was you know a great way to get things started and kind of have that surprise for lack of a better term, because it is Tanahashi, right? That surprise victory for Hanari to open up the G1, because now it's like anything can happen in this tournament. Yeah, excellent. I, at first, I was like, oh, wow, already. But then I was like, yeah, excellent booking. You, you Right off the hop, anything can happen. It's not just going to be the, the favorites, quote unquote. Although we do see Tanahashi lose to some lower level guys in this tournament here and there. But yeah, I thought this match was perfectly fine. Maybe you could say Tanahashi was going through the motions a little bit, but what it was his first match of his 12th G1 or something. He's not going full out yet. 
totally fine. This was a, a very good wrestling match. As you said, Aaron Hernare wins with the Streets of Rage, which is the Fisherman's Buster. Yep. Yep, exactly. So how would you rate this match? I would say three uh, Lions, three Nikita Lions roars out of five for this one. Three grade one climaxes out of five for this one. 60% solid match. Yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed this match, and I think that's a great uh, rating for the match. And then we go into a just a whopper of a match. Will Ospreay versus Ooh. El Fantasmo. 15 minutes total. Man, this match was my favorite match of night one, possibly of the tournament. I just love this match. Both guys just going back and forth. Sometimes you forget how good El Fantasmo is just because of all his shenanigans in ring and with the Bullet Club and, and all that stuff. Um but this match was just absolutely fire. Uh, Will Ospreay getting the win, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say unexpectedly, but the way that the match was being booked, like you really did think that El Fantasma could win. But at the end of the day, Will Ospreay kind of gets the win. Uh, he hits the hidden blade. Um, and yeah, this match was just absolutely excellent. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. This was a banger. What I thought immediately was, well, they just set the bar and it's going to be tough for someone to top this in the next couple of days. And there's been some other great matches as well, but I think this is the match of the tournament so far, man. I'm right there with you. This was a banger. I loved the finish. Loved, loved, loved. So uh, Will Ospreay goes for his Oz cutter, the springboard uh, RKO, basically. Phantasmo turns that out of midair to a backslide, gets like 2.9999. Uh, Will Ospreay kicks out. As El Fantasmo is bitching to the referee, I got three, I got three. Will Ospreay clocks him with his finisher, the hidden blade, and pins him right away. Just a beautiful finish. And more than anything, I think the, the finish is what puts it over the top for me. So, yeah, great match. Match of the tournament will absolutely be on the big year-end list for us when we do it again in January, homie. Agreed. Agreed 100%. How would you rate this match? Going to go four and a quarter grade Ooh. one climaxes out of five for this one. 85% solid A, not an all-time classic, but inarguably an excellent, excellent wrestling match. Four and a quarter. Awesome. All right. The next tournament match saw Jay White go up against Sonata. Sonata's one of those wrestlers. Like, he is much better than evil, you know, but sometimes he has a great match. Sometimes he doesn't. I'm going to put this in pretty damn good match i really enjoyed this match uh jay white just showing us why he is the champ right now why you know he will be kind of like the, the the evil gaijin for the next few years i absolutely really enjoyed this match a lot um you know i love the fact that as the match was going on jay white was kind of hitting sonata in the face more and more uh he gets face planted um and and the announcers quickly quickly reminded us about Sonata's injury to his orbital bone so it kind of put a nice neat little package to the entire match and I absolutely love like the ending and you know the right guy won in Jay White uh, but Sonata had a great first uh first match of the tournament and even though he lost him he looked strong yeah, yeah, well put, man. I, your assessment on this one is bang on. Very good match. Wouldn't call it great, but these guys are excellent wrestlers. They can't have a bad match, per se. Uh, Jay White, such a smarmy asshole. Such an awesome heel. Evil Gaijin, indeed. And, uh, yeah, he puts away Sonata with the Blade Runner 
aka the sister Abigail, aka the swinging reverse STO, if you will, Boris. I would go like, I don't know, solid three and a half for this one. Solid B. Solid B. Yep. And then a match that, like, I was looking forward to. Love the fact that it was on night one. And that's uh, Kazushika Okada versus Jeff Cobb in the G1. And this match was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Went about 21 minutes, just over 21 minutes. And it was Jeff Cobb just treating Okada like a rag doll throughout the match. But Okada yeah. kind of using his experience uh, to get out of moves use his speed a little more and you know the ending of the match was awesome you know okada goes for the rainmaker jeff cobb headbutts him goes for the tour of the islands jeff cobb or and then okada gets out of that um you know and he eventually hits the rainmaker for the win uh and i i really like this match and i think again in defeat jeff cobb is gonna have a great tournament and he looked super strong because he lost against okada right like it's not like you're losing against yano it's not like you're losing against some jobber you're losing against okada yeah man yeah i thought this match was every bit as good as osprey versus uh phantasmo that one just i i preferred it just just to say just a bit more but this match was absolutely great too they made Jeff Cobb look like a million dollars in defeat. My favorite spot of this match. So Kazuchika Okada does this thing. He's done it since 2012, where he seats his opponent on the turnbuckle and hits this beautiful drop kick. He jumps to the heavens, drop kicks the guy in the mush. Buddy flies out, and it's a great spot. Everyone, you know, cheers. Babies flying in the air. It's amazing. So Jeff Cobb in this match puts Kazuchika Okada on the top turnbuckle. And Jeff Cobb hits Okada with his own dropkick. Jeff Cobb is 290 pounds or whatever he is. This guy is so incredible, man. The fact that he did Okada's own dropkick on the turnbuckle to Okada, this guy, Jeff Cobb, so great. He's Matanza Cueto, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, it's crazy how Jeff Cobb just looks like a huge-ass mofo but can move like the best of them right like he does a moonsault a beautiful looking moonsault in this match as well like jeff cobb is just a beast um you I know, think yeah he's so good we've seen like keith lee even before keith lee vader bam bam bigelow i think jeff cobb might be the best big man high flyer ever like if, if you think of like evolutionary like athleticism etc he might be the best. He's like the ricochet of fat boys. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I would honestly say the exact same thing. But yeah, this match was was great, great stuff. Love the storytelling and love that Okada won with one Rainmaker. He just hit him once and that's it's a devastating finisher. It worked. So we're going another four and a quarter. I couldn't call it an A minus. It's an A. Four and a quarter, 85%. Excellent match. Uh, the the two best matches of the tournament so far happened on night one. Go watch those. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I, you know, I love the fact that you pointed out that Okada did win with one Rainmaker, and that's because we're at the start of the tournament, right? Like, you know, one can say that the wrestlers are more fresh, but I think that if you start having the, the crazy finishes so early, then you're setting the bar really not only unrealistic, but... You know, it's just going to feel like a long tournament. So I'm liking the fact that the matches have, like, a definitive ending, and then we'll have the more intriguing endings as the tournament kind of winds winds down. Yeah, uh, yeah, well put. That's Hopefully they stick to that uh, situation. Obviously, yeah, it, it can't just be a straight line. Uh, there's going to be bumps in the road. But, yeah, 
I that's kind of how it's looking, and it it I I appreciated it for sure. Agreed. All right, well, let's move on to night two, buddy. July seventeenth, two thousand twenty-two. It starts. Uh, well, the G one action starts with a war. Another great match. Tai Chi versus Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, this match was awesome. Ishii, shockingly man, so underrated. Oh fuck. He's so underrated. So Tai Chi is actually really good. Like he's had some great matches in his career. He's better than people give him credit for. He's no, uh, he's no stiff. He's better than Yoshihashi. Tai Chi is like much, much better. Yep. Oh, you can't even. Yeah, you can't even (laughs) compare them. Yes, I, I, yeah, I don't know why I just did, but anyway. So the 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 story of this match was Ishii wanting to drag Tai Chi into the deep waters, wanting to turn this into a physical war. And Tai Chi meeting him all the way and perhaps shocking Ishii. There's a specific spot early in the match where Ishii's trying to bully him and trying to hit him. And then Tai Chi slaps him once in the face. And Ishii, like, he gets rocked with the slap. And he sells, like, oh, shit. He, he sells, like, danger in his eyes. Like, uh-oh, I, I may have miscalculated here. He's really tough. And that was the story of the match. And Tai Chi pins Ishii clean with his black Mephisto, which is the air raid crash, a.k.a. the white noise, a.k.a. the over-the-shoulder reverse pile driver, Boris. Uh, great match. Great wrestling match here. Agreed. Agreed 100%, man. This match was a lot of fun. Four star, I would say. 80% A minus. Four lion's roars. Four climax eye out of five. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I would rate it the same. Like, yeah, it was just, it was really good. I think this was my favorite, like my personal favorite match from night two. Yes, agree. 100% agree with you there. Although there was another great match on the show. We'll get to it in a second. I'll tell you what wasn't great. Still good, but you have to roll your eyes at it. Toru Yanu defeats... The big whale Jonah by count out when Yano double low blows Jonah and his uh, partner in crime, bad dude Tito, outside the ring. Do you have anything else to add to this, Boris? Not at all. It's a it's a typical <laughs> Yano G1 match where if he didn't get the win, there was going to be shenanigans. Yeah, absolutely typical. I thought it was on the good side of Yano. At the end of the day, I would say it was a good match. By the hair, if it's chinny, chin, chin, we'll give it three uh, climaxes out of five, just barely. It was typical Yano, but it was a good version of typical Yano. Yep, agreed. All right, uh, match, uh, the third G1 match from the C block, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kenta. I didn't... I don't know. This is a weird one. Objectively great match that subjectively I didn't much care for, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't love watching it, but I could see in front of my eyes that the work was spectacular. I just didn't I didn't like the story. Yeah, I agree with you on that assessment. This is a match that I was actually looking forward to, and I was kind of left a little underwhelmed. Yeah, so the story that they've always been telling with Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kenta is that Kenta, is a, he's a really good striker, and he's a mean motherfucker, and that's how you beat Zack Sabre Jr. You take the fight to him, you you throw him on the on the arena floor, you use weapons, you make it a dirty, uh, a dirty fight and not a clean professional wrestling match. But I thought Kenta just bullied him too much, just made him look like a... Kind of like a little bitch. And then Kenta hit a couple finishers and pulled Zack Sabre Jr. up. And as soon as that starts happening, especially with two wrestlers at this level, it just so wildly telegraphs the finish. Like the first time Kenta pulls Zack up, you're like, well, Zack Sabre is definitely going to win probably by hooking in a submission. 
And that's exactly what happened. So great match, but it took 22 minutes to get there. And it was just, I, I just, I, I don't know. I've seen this match before, I think is what it is. Yep, exactly. I think that's the best way to put it there. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, Zack Sabre does win with, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong out there, the Jim Breaks special. He's got a lot of names for a lot of his moves, but this was the combo omoplata armbar situation thing. I think, pretty sure he won with the Jim Breaks special on this one. So, yeah, I would still call it a great match, all things considered, because these guys are are like geniuses in the ring, but I didn't like it, (laughs) if that makes sense. I still begrudgingly will say... Uh, four climaxes out of five. It was yep. great. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, and then the main event. Very interesting main event. Yeah, Juice Robinson pins Shingo Takagi clean as a whistle with pulp friction, which is the unprettier, the Christian cage finishing move. Um, yeah, man, this was a very good match. I, I wouldn't call it great. And I was surprised they gave Juice a lot, and then he fucking won. <laughs> it was like, yeah. whoa. Exactly, especially against Shingo, right? Like, I I think they're really putting a huge investment in this uh, double U.S. champion gimmick. Their New Japan has something planned for the future. They do have, you know, a major show in L.A. coming in September. Uh, so I believe that, you know, they're going to really f- focus on Juice Robinson and his claims of the U.S. championship. So based on that, post-match story and the overall story that Juice Robinson's had for the past few weeks, I guess month or so, uh, along with Will Ospreay, the rightful U.S. champion, I think that both guys are going to have a great tournament just solely that they so they can face off on a major show for New Japan in L.A. in September. Love where your head's at there. Perhaps even in a ladder match, the second ever in New Japan history, just because that's what happens when two guys have titles in wrestling. Like, and they hang the, them up from the roof. Yeah, exactly. And New Japan has this thing of where they really try to maybe even overbook gimmick matches when they are in the States, thinking that, you know, all we love is gimmick matches. And they are entirely wrong. I do love some dudes flying through tables. But, uh, yeah, it is funny. They they go above and beyond with the gimmicks. Like, you're fucking take it, you fucking Americans. Take more gimmicks. Just <laughs> exactly. load it on. <laughs> like, look at that yeah, so, uh, capital of the, you know, the, the, the capital clash or whatever it was called. Like, you know, collision in the capital or whatever it was called. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that, that show was great, but I feel like every match had some gimmick. And you had, like, one or two actual singles matches. Yes, and th- those were the best ones, like uh, Ishii versus Kingston, for example. Yeah, it, you're right, though. And that's that's so funny. But I did I did like the match overall. Very good, not quite great. We'll go three and three quarter G1 climaxes for this one. Seventy five percent B plus. Juice Robinson wins. Fatality. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be good. I think. I think that's gonna be a lot of uh, a lot of fun there. Uh, like in terms of the story of juice robinson i think that's really going to be cool absolutely so i do have it it's it's kind of dumb to do the standings but we'll just kind of briefly quickly go through them just to give you a little heads up at where we're at so a block kazuchika okada has two points by way of his win over jeff cobb tori yanu has two points by way of his win over jonah bad luck folly filthy tom and lance archer in the a block have yet to to compete. So Okada 2, Yano 2, Jonah loss, Jeff Cobb loss. E-block. 
Switchblade Jay White has two points by way of his win over Sonata. Tai Chi has two points by way of his win over Tomohiro Ishii. Chase Owens, Great Okan, and Tama Tonga in B Block have yet to compete. Yep. C exactly. Block. Sorry, yeah, I'll just, yeah. No, if, sorry. If just, you want to chime in, then. No, 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 go ahead. Sorry. Word up. Uh, B, so that was B Block. C Block. Aaron Hanare, two points by win, uh, by way over his win over Tanahashi. Zack Sabre Jr., two points. He beat Kenta. We also have Evil, Hiroki, Goto, and Tetsuya Naito in that group. Some fun matches. Naito, Evil will be fun. Naito, Zack Sabre Jr., always great. Naito, Tanahashi, always great. Some good matches coming in C Block. D-Block, I'm very excited for. We have Will Ospreay, two points by way of his win over El Fantasmo. Juice Robinson in there with Will. We're going to get that match soon in the G1. He's got two points by way of his win over Shingo. We have David Finley, Yoshihashi, and your boy, the Tokyo Pimps, Yujiro Takahashi in D-Block. So there's some bad wrestlers in D-Block, but there's also Shingo and LP and Will Ospreay and Juice. And I like David Finley too. So D-Block is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking at it now. Juice Robinson might win this fucking block, man. They might let Juice win this thing. I think he will. Wow. Did not see that coming. Um, so, yeah, very interesting tournament. I, I could see, hmm, at this moment, who's your pick? At this, Is it still like, Okada? It's still Okada. It's still Okada. Just because Okada went through so much hell in his first match, they might be telling the war of attrition story with Okada. He might run out of gas. I want to. I want to pick Zack Saber Jr. again. I pick him every year. It's gonna come true once. I'm screwing. I'm changing my pick. Eat shit, Okada. Zack Saber Jr. is winning this thing. I love it. I love it. And watch him lose again. Womp womp. Ah, damn it. I'm sorry if I jinxed you, ZSJ. Well, it's not gonna be Switchblade because he has the title. I think Will Osprey. I don't think it's gonna be him because I think Juice Robinson's gonna beat Will and win that block. It could be Zack Saber Jr. Man, I think Zack Saber Jr. wins the C block. Could be Shingo to win the D block too, but no, it's going to be Juice winning the D. So yeah, A block Okada wins, B block Switchblade wins, C block Zack Saber wins, D block Juice Robinson right now I think is going to win. I think you agree. And then we're going to get Saber versus Okada, and Zack Saber Junior is going to beat Okada and win the G one. Let's go. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Let's see what actually happens. You never know what the hell's going to happen with this stuff nowadays. Um, no, that's, why, that's why we love the G1, though, man. It's just like sports. It's, it's the most sports-like uh, presentation in all of professional wrestling. Yep, yep. Man, there's just so much wrestling going on. So like we mentioned, next weekend, Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor on Saturday, July the 23rd. Uh, Sunday night's main event we'll have an after party for that patrons will have the special zoom link non-patrons will be able to watch on YouTube but remember if you want us to get your feedback if you want your say which that's the whole point of these after parties then you got to be a patron go to patreon.com slash SNME radio and then the following week man it's a very busy weekend because there is SummerSlam on Saturday the 30th also on the 30th, in in another place in Nashville, New Japan Pro Wrestling is putting on quite the card. Music City Mayhem from the Nashville Fairgrounds, Saturday, July 30th. Early show because SummerSlam is on later. There's three matches that I'm really looking forward to. And funny enough, um, 
actually, yeah, three matches that I'm looking forward to out of the four singles matches. Get this. These are the matches I'm looking forward to. You have Hiromu Takahashi versus Blake Christian. You have Kushida versus Alex Shelley. Yes, Kushida versus Alex Shelley. The time splitters explode, Boris. They explode. And then the main event it's someone that you and I have been very firmly behind over the past year, and that's El Desperado versus John Moxley in a no time limit, no DQ match. Despy, let's go! I love it. Yeah, man, we were we were both a little upset that El Desperado didn't win his match against Okada in the uh, in the uh, New Japan Cup this year, although it was a banger. But yeah, we love some El Desperado. Good to see him getting a main event. Nice. Yeah, and then and then you know the next day, also in Nashville, is Ric Flair's last match. Man, just Oof. so much happening. We have so much of wrestling to get through on Bam. But yeah, you know next weekend, July twenty third, it is Ring of Honor, SNME after party, SummerSlam on the thirtieth. There will be an SNME after party, and then also New Japan and Ric Flair's last match. We'll, we'll probably cover here on Bam. I'm sure we will uh, at some, just some extent. Let's uh, just for funsies, Boris, let's fucking radio self, <laughs> radio ourselves here just, just for fun. So we're going to publish this before 6.05 Eastern <laughs> on Monday when Ric Flair is telling you who his opponent is going to be. He's put out a tweet today, which hashtagged WWE raw in it. So I, I have two, I have two guesses. Who do you think Flair's opponent is going to be? I don't know. It's honestly, I, I've gone back and forth with a lot of names. At first, on obviously, Ricky Steamboat makes sense, but I think he's gonna want someone current. I think he's gonna want somebody, um, you know, uh, that, that, that has that is on wrestling each and every week. So my second thought went to Sting because that to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, but then recently. If you notice the WWE intro video, Ric Flair is back. So maybe he's being Ric Flair and just teasing a lot. I I just don't know. I don't know who it could be. I could see it honestly being someone like a Seth Rollins just because I think that that's someone, you know, he's got the name, he's got the talent, and I feel like, you know, they they, they are close enough to have that match and he can protect them. Um, I don't know. Who who are you thinking? So... I, I feel like the easiest answer, the easiest conclusion to draw, kind of, in a way, is Jerry Lawler. Because he does indies still, shockingly, he still does indies. Um, plus, that way, Conrad can, per- perhaps he can successfully kill two people in the middle of the ring instead of one. That, that's rude. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, I think Jerry Lawler is a thought because he works for WWE. He's on Raw, quote unquote. But you know who's going to be? I think it's actually for sure going to be AJ Styles. I think AJ Styles is going to have this match. He's going to have the distinction of having the Undertaker's last match and Ric Flair's last match. I think it's brilliant that you just brought up that he's back in the in the WWE Open. You were here in Woo every week. He's back in their good graces. Ric Flair versus AJ Styles at the Nashville Fairgrounds, the building that AJ made famous, arguably with NWA TNA. Yeah, man, that's it. I'm positive. I'm positive. I don't have inside sources. I don't ever want inside sources either. I mean that truly. I want to continue having a fan's perspective. But I promise you it's AJ Styles. That's what's happening. Rick Flair versus awesome. AJ Styles. Write it down. Book it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're going to be discussing, man, just so much wrestling over the next few weeks. Uh, Matt, I think that brings us to a close for this week. 
beauty, man. Well, friggin' I miss hearing your voice, buddy. It's been a while. But thank you all for listening. Thank you, uh, thank you for staying part of this. Subscribe to us on Patreon if you're uh, getting this on the free BAM feed. And we'll be back with more all summer, man. The fun never stops. Exactly. The fun never stops when you're with Boris and Matt. That's going to turn <laughs> into a jingle somehow. He's Matt. I'm Boris. Everyone just remember, stay tranquilo. Ay, ay, ay.